That rousing music is by the great British composer Rafe Van Williams. It is Let All the World in Every Corner Sing, and it's the fifth and final movement of his piece called Five Mystical Songs. And uh, this is just one of a number of great works that are going to be performed this coming weekend by the Choral Arts Society to kick off their 33rd concert season. And uh, that concert, which is Saturday night, uh, 7 p.m. at First Presbyterian Church in downtown Racine, uh, is a concert titled Words of Wonder, Wit, and Wisdom. And uh, with us today uh, on the morning show uh, for most of this hour is James Schatzman, who is artistic director of the Choral Arts Society. He's going to be talking about uh, the what is behind what is a very substantial and exciting a way to begin their season, and uh, we'll be talking about what uh, is promised for the remainder of this 33rd concert season of the Choral Arts Society as well. James Schatzman, we welcome you back to the morning show. Thank you, Greg. Nice to be here. Good to have you here. Uh, you were saying before we went on the air that one of the challenges uh, in starting the season is just get everybody gathered back up and, and revved up and ready to go, and particularly when uh, it is a concert as uh, as uh, challenging as as this one is. So I suspect uh, the last few weeks have been uh, very, very busy and taxing for you. <laughs> they've been fun, actually. Um, they've been probably taxing and busy for the for the chorus. Uh, there's a, it's a very full program, but it's a it's a wonderful program, which is really structured around uh, around the uh, the poetry. And so this concert has been built around, um, great poets and some of their most famous works uh, as set to music. And so core music is always a, um, a literary form. But uh, and this, in this particular program, we're focusing specifically on the, uh, on the poets. Say a word about how these seasons generally take shape. Uh, what kinds of things do you think about as you put the choral arts season together? Well, I'm very fortunate to have a very gifted program committee, and uh, we meet a couple times a year to kind of brainstorm ideas, and sometimes all it takes is one little spark to get, get an idea going. And uh, uh, over the course of the year, uh, the chorus plans those programs out. Uh, I spend some time thinking about the particulars. Often one piece will come up, and it just sparks a whole new idea of which direction to go. And uh, in this case... Uh, some of these have, uh, poems have been benchmarked for me. They've been uh, touchstones for me throughout my life. Hmm. Uh, for example, the Frost Chew Something Like a Star or the piece that you played, uh, George Herbert's Let All the World in Every Corner Sing. These have been very important uh, poems in my life. And, uh, and the idea of building a program around great poets just seemed like a natural extension from that. Absolutely. So uh, let's give you a chance to talk about some of the great work that is going to be part of this concert that is coming up on uh, on Saturday evening. Well, it's some of the poets that, that I'm just really excited and authors that I'm really excited to present. We're going to do a, a Jabberwocky by Lewis Carroll uh, in an arrangement by a guy named Sam Pottle, who I was unaware of until I began researching this specific poem. Uh, but he was a uh, composer and arranger for Sesame Street and The mm -hmm. Muppet Show and actually was uh, one of the co-collaborators on writing the Muppet Show theme. Ah. Uh, pretty gifted composer who I never heard of before. Mm. And so in doing a little research, uh, 
I found some other wonderful things that he did. This is a delightful piece that people will really love. Uh, we're also going to be doing uh, some uh, poetry by uh, William Shakespeare from uh, uh, settings of pieces from Twelfth Night and other uh, Much Ado About Nothing and other great poems uh, by Emily Deemer. And, uh, and I don't think I could, knowing from myself, couldn't uh, present a program like this without bringing a couple pieces uh, from the Bible, which I think is a core of, of Western literature. And so we're doing a psalm setting, uh, 67, which we, uh, uh, that was actually done for uh, Diana's wedding, Princess Diana's wedding. Uh, and uh, we're also going to be doing a very dramatic piece by Norwegian composer uh, Egil Hovland, uh, Paul, for narrator and chorus and organ, highly dramatic setting. And so I, I think this is a diverse program that's really going to be quite interesting to listen to. I suppose part of what goes into the specific selections you make is not just what's out there in the world that's cool, but what is my group capable of really singing well or what is what are works that really fold nicely into their particular gifts or particular strengths. Yes, you really do need to know your organization and, and present pieces that that will uh, flatter them uh, and that they will be able to uh, <clears throat> excuse me to carry off uh, in a strong way. Um, and uh, we've we've done that and uh, I, I'm, I'm very, very excited about uh, the course, although we're challenging a little bit in this program, which is good. You don't want to be on the edge a little bit. You don't want to just do things that are easy. Um, and clearly this program has some things that are not very easy at all. <laughs> um, in addition to uh, what you've already mentioned, I, I think it would make sense for us to take a little time to talk specifically about uh, the five mystical songs of Ray Fon Williams, which of course are quite a substantial piece. I should think it's the most substantial work on the program in terms of length and so on, and also <laughs> in terms of some of the complexity that it, it represents. Uh, what do you want to say about the five mystical songs? I suppose I'd like to start with George Herbert. I, I, these are some of the most beautiful poems. I mean, they just, they, they were they were written to be sung. I mean, I don't mean that literally, but um, the, the poetry is so beautiful and so lyric. Um, it just lends itself uh, to singing. It's like there's music before Von Williams even got to it. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and Von Williams was one of those people who was part of the movements around the world, which are really focusing on uh, the gems of their own culture. And Von Williams and people like Von Williams and Percy Granger and, and Holst and others were really looking to what was some of the best of English literature uh, and English culture. And the uh, Herbert poems certainly rise to that point. As compositions, they're masterpieces. I mean, they're, they're some of the most frequently performed works of Von Williams. And uh, this will be the choral arts, uh, at least our second time uh, performing these pieces on, on programs. I think one of the first years you were in Racine, uh, you sang these works yeah, with us way back ago. in 89 or 88. Um, and uh, uh, our soloist for this particular program is uh, uh, Nicholas Berudian. And uh, we're very excited to have him uh, as a soloist with us again. Uh, but these pieces, again, they're, they're just, they're one of those pieces I go back and listen to over and over and over again. They're just so rich uh, in, in, in the lyric beauty that, that Von Williams brings to it and is really, I think, inspired by Herbert himself. I want to make sure to give you a chance to explain something that people may have seen in the, the brochure Namely, that Saturday evening is not just this 7 o'clock concert, but something else happening a little earlier that you're listing as 
pre-concert poetry between 6.15 and 6.45. What's that all about? Well, we've invited, as, as a part of this program, the uh, Poets Laureate of Racine and Kenosha, uh, Stephen Calmer, who's the mm-hmm. uh, uh, director of that program uh, currently and a former Poet Laureate himself, uh, has invited uh, uh, Esteban Colon, uh, the uh, Kenosha Poet Laureate, and Kenyatta Turner, who's the Racine Poet Laureate, to come and share some of their work before the program. So this really is a poetic uh, mm-hmm. opportunity. And then during the program itself, we're also going to have some poet poems read uh, by Gene Preston, uh, Carolee Safiotti, and Stephen Calmer will be part of the program as it's laid out. So there will be uh, spoken word as well as uh, the sung, sung word. Excellent. So again, the concert Saturday night, 7 p.m. at First Presbyterian Church in downtown Racine is titled Words of Wonder, Wit, and Wisdom with a wide array of, of uh, wonderful poetry uh, represented uh, that, that evening. And this pre-concert poetry presentation actually beginning at uh, 6.15. What a lovely idea uh, as an additional uh, treat that night. And, uh, Jim, we should talk about the rest of the uh, concert season first. For anyone just joining us, I'm speaking with James Schatzman, who is the artistic director of the Choral Arts Society, and uh, their 33rd concert season begins this Saturday evening with the concert that we have been discussing about. Uh, second in your season is something that has become one of the happiest of traditions with the Choral Arts Society. I think, if I have it right, this is our 26th year wow. of doing uh, lessons and carols. Uh, it's the uh, we hold pretty close to the tradition that was begun at uh, King's College. I think last year was the 100th anniversary of Lessons and Carols. And uh, so you have nine uh, uh, lessons from Scripture that talk about uh, the, the history leading up to a prophecy and history leading up to the, the nativity. And uh, after each reading is a kind of a reflective carol uh, that, that reflects back on the text or enhances the text. And uh, we will be doing those concerts this year at uh, the Siena Center on uh, the 15th of December and at St. Thomas Aquinas in Waterford on the 13th. Ah, tell us about that church in Waterford. Have you performed there before? We have. This will be our maybe our fourth performance there. We've done a, some subscription concerts there, and we've also done uh, lessons and carols there for the last couple of years. Uh, it's a wonderful space. It's uh, stunning. It, it's one of the newer uh, worship spaces in Waterford, uh, and it's just it's wonderful acoustically. It's beautifully appointed, uh, and the congregation uh, and the, the staff there has really been supportive of our program, and so it's been a real delightful collaboration. Hmm. So explain how much the, the Lessons and Carols concert changes from year to year over the course of 26 of them. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's not exactly the same. Is it ever the same? Are there certain things that you do quite often, nearly every year? Or uh, how much how much variation are we seeing there? That's a good question. Um, the opening rite, kind of where, where the choir comes into the space, and, and uh, it has been pretty traditional for us. We've been singing uh, Paul Mons' uh, In Soul or Jesus Quickly Come for 26 years. Mm. Um, uh, some other regulars we've done, often we've sung uh, the famous uh, hymn that's often begins, that always begins Lessons and Carols in England, and that's uh, Once in World, David's City, although we won't be doing that one this year. We did it last year. Um, and the, the rest of the, the program pretty much changes from year to year. Uh, I would say over 26 years, 
Uh, there's, if you've gone to every one, there are some repetitions and things that you know. But we've worked in some newer pieces uh, uh, this year. We're doing a, a stunning setting of the Huron Carol, uh, one mm. in the moon of wintertime, uh, mm. which talks about uh, the, the birth narrative in the context of a uh, Native American uh, framework. A very beautiful piece. Um, that'll be new, completely new for us this year. Hmm. And uh, uh, we'll also be doing some, some big English things by William Mathias, uh, which are, I, to me, are just some of the favorites that, that we do, uh, as well as some traditional carols. We've always sung uh, O Come All You Faithful and Hark the Herald Angels Sing. They have their spot in our program that come back every year. Very good. So again, the Lessons and Carols will be presented uh, twice uh, on that Friday evening, December 13th, uh, at St. Thomas Aquinas uh, in Waterford, and then uh, Sunday afternoon at the Siena, Siena Center on the north side of Racine. Um, so the, the, uh, the performance this season I know the least about uh, is the one that is coming up in March uh, called The Spirit Sings. Really excited about this program. This is going to be uh, a survey of, uh, of sacred music uh, from chant all the way th- to uh, contemporary praise. Mm. And so we'll have uh, be, be starting this program with some, uh, some historic chants and come through into the uh, uh, Palestrina era as we move into the, some of the more uh, uh, polyphonic uh, works of the High Renaissance and early Baroque. And then we'll continue to move on through doing some Bach and some Handel and then coming forward to the the 20th century uh, and moving right into uh, uh, the contemporary uh, praise and worship. And so we'll we'll have a full uh, worship band there uh, to uh, sing with the Choral Arts Society. Wow. So uh, when something like this is that far off, is that concert, for instance, completely in place? I mean, do you have every single piece chosen for that concert in far off March already? Or do some of these concerts, in a sense, take shape along the way? They do take shape along the way. And, and that program is probably about 80 uh, percent complete uh, in terms of uh, the literature that's going to be in it. I'm going to be meeting with the worship band over the uh, next couple of weeks uh, to talk about uh, specifically how we're going to build the back part of the program. Uh, and how we're going to bring the chorus into that. And so that piece is still uh, has some, uh, some little work to do before it's tweaked fully in, but uh, we're well on pace to, to have this done in, in more than enough time to deal with our marketing and, uh, and chorus preparation. Right. What intrigues me about that is that I think for a lot of people, their knee-jerk reaction to what gets sung with praise bands mm-hmm. is that we're talking about something that lots and lots of people really like, but in mm-hmm. terms of musical substance, mm-hmm. tends not to be there. It's often two chords, maybe three, and <laughs> uh, you know, and so on. Uh, so I think probably some people are going to be a, a little bit surprised that something like this is being folded into a uh, into a concert by somebody like the Choral Art Society that really mm-hmm. prides itself in musical substance. So I suspect you're having to really think long and hard about exactly how this is going to be worked into this program and what specific choices you're going to make. I think musicians who have uh, looked at this literature over the years uh, have certainly seen that the, uh, the composition and the structure and the uh, gravitas of this music is, is pretty uneven. 
Uh, you know, there, there's there's wonderful things and there's awful things. I think we forget that even in Mozart's time, there were the Mozarts and there were others uh, <laughs> whom we no longer uh, remember uh, or care to remember. Um, and so uh, there is some really fine music in this genre that it's, it's that really respects the text, uses it in ways that are are, are meaningful. Uh, and that's the other part of this, this this literature. Sometimes the texts are pretty poor. And mm-hmm. so uh, I've really worked hard, and uh, uh, and the team that I'm specifically working with um, is very gifted. Matter of fact, everybody in this worship team has at least a bachelor's degree. We have two people with master's degrees in music. They're very gifted, mm-hmm. and they really – and two of them have music degrees – uh, and so they really have a sense of, of what is what is good music, what, what is music of substance. Even though it's set in a contemporary style, it should still have a strong text that actually means something, and it should have some kind of uh, harmonic and rhythmic interest to it uh, and, and unity and variety. So we're looking at – I look at structure, um, and I think I know when I hear something that there's just not much to that. So there won't be a lot of cotton candy in this program. <laughs> it will be music that I think will move people. Uh, and give them a good sense of some of the best that's being put out uh, uh, in contemporary music. Very nicely put. So again, this this uh, concert is titled The Spirit Sings, and this will be on Saturday evening, March 21st, uh, the uh, Choral Arts Society back at First Presbyterian Church, such a beautiful space uh, for making music. And that will be, again, uh, everything from chant to praise band contemporary stuff and everything in between sounds like a, a really intriguing and, and wonderful program and your season is going to end with a masterpiece that is of course uh, a a a very very grand and an intimidating challenge for anybody uh, who attempts it namely Karl Orff's dramatic cantata Carmina Burana. First of all, say a word about the Choral Art Society's kind of long relationship with this work. This is a work that uh, I remember the first time we did it, and I was looking around at our chorus personnel. I said, we have a unique time in history here. I have a terrific men's section. The choir's as big as it's ever been. Uh, this is a bucket list piece for me. Let's just give it a shot. I remember the program committee and board looking at me thinking, are you out of your mind? Um, you, you do realize the scope uh, of this piece and what you're uh, stepping into. And I did. Uh, and uh, it was successful. We had a wonderful, wonderful uh, experience of, of doing it. And and one of the unique ways that we do this piece is in an arrangement by Orff himself uh, for two pianos and the full uh, on, uh the full raft of, of percussion instruments. And so it gives it uh, a, a somewhat more transparent uh, uh, approach. I mean, the chorus is really front and center. Mm. And although I really have a, a, a love for uh, the orchestrated version, I have come to really appreciate uh, it done in this way, which just even in the b- biggest pieces, like the, the first and the last movements, the O Fortuna, the choir is just front and center. Mm. It really grabs you. Um, and uh, the, the two pianos really gives a different sound and a, a very engaging sound uh, to his uh, very rich orchestrations. Right. And the other thing that, that's, uh, surprised, that, that's different about this work is that it, as it evolved in the way that we perform it, uh, we've had the opportunity now to do this as Orff originally intended as a ballet and bringing in the... Uh, uh, studio of Classical Dance Arts uh, with uh, Mark and Linda Darling to present kind of an amazing visual work, costumed, staged, uh, full lighting and, and sound engineering. 
Um, it's it's quite an undertaking for a course our size, but uh, we're very excited to be doing this. Wow. I wondered when I saw multimedia, uh, multimedia experience, mm-hmm. what what exactly that was going to uh, entail. Now, are the specifics of that still kind of taking shape? No, those are those have taken shape. We have uh, some of the the visual uh, aspects, or we have uh, projected images onto the back of the stage to create the scenes that you might might be in. Some abstract. Uh, 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 setting of a forest for mm. some of the the early the early pieces uh some some color changes and, and backdrops to create a tavern scene uh as well as uh we have one they call them a gobo where you insert them right over the light where the the big wheel of fortune is imposed on the back <laughs> of the stage it's very beautiful uh, uh mark darling really gets credit for designing these images and and creating a space that's lit very imaginatively uh, and has such rich looks to it, it's it's really amazing. Uh, we've already touched on the fact that this is a big work. I mean, there's a lot to it, but I'm not sure we've really spelled out yet what also makes it musically such uh, a significant challenge for any group that attempts it. Well, there's there's uh, there's lots of Divisi, we call it. There's the, the parts are split all the time, so it's not just like four parts going on. Uh, sometimes there's there's eight parts going on, uh, and and the dr- drama of of creating the right texture for each piece mm-hmm. is really one of the artistic uh, challenges. In that, some pieces are big uh, and joyful. Some of them are big and kind of foreboding. Some of them are very thin, almost chant-like with almost no accompaniment at all, but pedal tones, just long notes, and then a chant-like uh, 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 melody over the top. And so it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a diverse palette to work with. It's, it's really a challenge and a joy to be able to create a variety of sounds with one group. Uh, and then uh, there is also a children's chorus. And oh, so yeah. you have, you just, you have this constantly changing colors. You've got a soprano solo, a bass solo, uh, a children's chorus, an adult chorus, uh, some pieces just for women, some pieces just for men. And so there's this ebb and flow of constantly changing textures, which was kind of a hallmark of the 20th century. I mean, mm. even chamber music was becoming so where Mahler would write these these massive pieces and then there'd be a, a string quartet in the middle of his <laughs> symphony or, or two on a part. You know, it's a, this diversity of sound matches up the diversity of the look that you're going to see. Um, it is costumed. I th- believe, if I remember correctly, the ballet has has three separate costume changes, uh, and uh, the uh, uh, the children's choir has their own unique uh, unique look. And so, visually, and and as far as sound, uh, and as far as impact, you're just going to be on a roller coaster ride mm. uh, through uh, an emotional landscape. That's really a terrific ride. Wow. And one of the things I remember about this work is how fiendishly difficult it is to count. That is, uh, what the the kind of challenges that Orff throws at both the singers and the instrumentalists accompanying them is it's just fierce. <laughs> it is. Uh, you know, there's there's so many times where the the key signatures are complex. Uh, or they're not the same, uh, and so it's not like you park yourself in, in four beats in a measure and you can just go for the rest of the piece. Uh, some of it is somewhat unmetered, and so there's no meter at all, and you just have to kind of pay attention as, as a, uh, 
a group of a monastery would, would, would learn how to do chant over years. We have a couple of weeks to figure out how to sing together, uh, how to sing chant uh, that's unmetered. And so there's just a lot of complexity. Uh, but uh, I think it's one of the things that I only that I not only love. I think it happens to be one of the things that I'm particularly good at is communicating rhythm, and I've gotten that feedback from chorus members before that they they're not they feel very secure in how I present uh, rhythmic complexities, and it's just for me it's really fun. It's it's I love harmony, but but uh, getting into a rich complex rhythm. Uh, oh, my blood pressure goes up, and I just start to <laughs> smile, and I, I, I'm eager to dig in and get going. Mm. So speaking of that, actually, when will the chorus begin working on Carmina Burana? I mean, will that not be until your uh, your March concert is over, or will you be sneaking your way into it from time to time, even before that? No, we'll be waiting until uh, until March to begin uh, to begin putting this together. And this is the chorus's third presentation, fourth presentation of Carmina Burana over right. our many years of uh, 33 years of existence. And so there's a core of people who know this piece pretty well. Hmm. Uh, and so uh, I'm not concerned. It'll be a heavy lift. It'll be hard work, but uh, the course is going to be ready. Very good. Very good. So that concert is going to be then uh, the very end of May, May 30th and May 31st. A Saturday night and Sunday afternoon, and that will be on the main stage of the University of Wisconsin Parkside. I That's don't think correct. you've performed there, I don't think, very often. Not very years. often, no. And that is where we did our last Carmina. It's one of the few places in our area, as you know, when you're looking at performances, there's just not a lot of performance halls in our area and and ones who have the kind of space that's needed to, to put up an entire ballet set uh, and, and house a chorus. And so Parkside's one of the few places that can really really make that work. And so we're very excited to be collaborating with UW Parkside in that particular performance. Wow. So 33 plus years ago, when you created uh, this ensemble, which back then was not called Choral Arts. It was, Correct. It was uh, Symphonic Chorus. Right. Uh, did you ever imagine that you were creating something that was going to be around more than three decades later? I suppose it would be naive to say that I knew it, but uh, I really have uh, had a vision for what I was trying to create here and what I wanted for our communities. And uh, so building people around, from the beginning, I believe I was working to build this for sustainability and build it for legacy. Um, And in the last couple of years, uh, I've been thinking more along terms of succession. How are we going to allow this to move into the future uh, beyond a founder, which for a lot of organizations, that's a tough place. I remember when the uh, um, uh, Bel Canto in Milwaukee went through that transition. It was a real tough transition when their founder and director, uh, who had done some major projects with them and, and, and big pieces, began to retire, the, the organization began to lose some energy. And it wasn't uh, for a few years later when uh, Richard Henson began to really dig in and, and kind of build, start building his own legacy. Um, and so what I'm hoping to do is uh, begin to look to uh, sustainable funding for this organization as we move into its fourth decade, uh, as well as begin to uh, uh, think about and structure how we can make a smooth transition moving into the 40th year and, and pro- mm. hopefully 50th year. Wow. 
a lot to look forward to, a lot to be grateful for. And, of course, uh, at the moment, we want to think first and foremost about the 33rd season of the Choral Arts Society of Southeastern Wisconsin and their concert, which opens this current season. Remind our listeners, Jim, of what's uh, going on this weekend. So this weekend on the 19th, uh, Saturday, at First Presbyterian Church, you're going to be doing a program called Words of Wonder, Wit, and Wisdom, which will focus not only on great choral music but on the great poets that inspired them. Very good. What should people do if they are interested in more information and or securing tickets for themselves? Tickets will be available at the door, but you can also purchase tickets ahead by calling the Choral Arts Office at 634-3250. Very good. James Schatzman, the Artistic Director of the Choral Arts Society of Southeastern Wisconsin. It's always great to talk with you. Congratulations on all you've already accomplished with this wonderful group, and we Wish you well with this weekend's uh, performance uh, and this concert called Words of Wonder, Wit, and Wisdom. Thank you, Greg. To uh, finish out this portion, here is more of Let All the World in Every Corner Sing by Rayfon Williams. 